I want to begin tonight and there is something that I believe is one of the greatest tragedies that we in the evangelical church faces these days, which I would call an exaggeration of the gospel. And that's a hard word to say. How could you possibly exaggerate the gospel? But we are living in the disillusionment of an exaggerated gospel. That is, we were told that if we would go forward, say this prayer after me, that everything would immediately be wonderful. That there would be some holy magic over us and our lives would be different. And we would no longer have a past. It would all be gone. And we would now live in unspeakable joy, perfect peace, and hang around for heaven till we died. And we did. We came down the aisle and we said the prayer. And we were changed. Do not misunderstand me. We, our true person, came alive from the dead. The scripture calls it a resurrection from the dead. Yes, you were changed all right. But everything didn't immediately become right. And you see, I say that's an exaggerated gospel because the Bible doesn't say that it should become immediately right. You, on the inside, you were changed. More than changed, you became a totally new person. But now begins the process of renewing your mind. And when your mind is renewed, that renews your emotions. And when your emotions and mind are renewed, that renews your lifestyle. You might say salvation or being saved. That is a crisis, a moment of change, which initiates us into a process of change. Do you understand what I'm saying? Our exaggerated gospel said, come to Jesus and wham, everything's finished. And you hang around until... Jesus comes. That's exaggeration. It's not true. But you see, when we came and it didn't happen, we thought it had happened to everybody else. So we're the odd ones out. It was supposed to happen. It didn't happen. And in some churches, we go forward every Sunday to see if it will take this time. And otherwise, we sit at the back envying everybody else. We sit all with our masks on. No, salvation is a crisis that initiates me into the process of being put back together. Start something, putting me back together so that I'll become the whole person that I was originally planned to be. Or you could put it this way, in that moment of miracle I have been taken out of the darkness now the process begins of taking out of me the ways of darkness. You know, I have learned how to walk in darkness. Now I'm out of the darkness, but I find myself doing the same stupid stuff. And that's where the, now I've got to learn a whole new way of life. All the habits of the darkness have got to be taken from me. Or to put it another way, I have to learn a whole new method of living, new method of living, a new method of living in my spirit, because I've never had a living spirit before, been dead. So there's a part of me that has come alive that wasn't there before. I have to learn how to be aware of God. 
I have to learn how to be attentive to his presence. I have to learn a whole new way of thinking about life, thinking about me, thinking about you. I have to learn how to handle new feelings. Because now I have the power within me to put away depression and despair and all those other negative emotions. But I have to learn how to do it. There's a lot of unfinished business of people I've got to forgive. There's a whole, I've got a lot to do here. So the crisis has taken place. Christ has come to live within me. Now begins the process of letting the new person I am grow and invade every part of my being. Now, if, if I'm being made whole, if, if I'm, I'm in process, now where are we going? What's the end in view? What's the end when I say the goal? Once you enter into Christ and this process begins, where are we going? Well, first of all, we're going back to everything Adam lost. Uh, would you understand me if I said we're dancing backwards? <laughs> we're dancing back into the Garden of Eden. You look very blank at me there as if you'd never thought of that before. Uh, that you, you realize we are going back into everything Adam lost, but much more than that, we're going back into everything that Adam never even got to. You see, because Adam hardly got started. We are going to a potential that he never reached. In fact, Jesus is called the last Adam. And I would go far enough to say that Jesus, as the last Adam, demonstrated where Adam never got to. He demonstrated a normal human being. He is God. But he became a perfect, normal human being and he had a relationship with God and an outflowing of love to people such as Adam never even dreamed. And so when I say we're dancing backwards to what Adam lost, I'm really saying we're dancing into who Jesus is. So that life now becomes, in practical terms, I in Christ and Christ in me. Now, if we're going to go back and at least begin with what Adam lost and end with who Jesus is in us, then why are you here? Let's go back to the beginning. Why are you here? Or to put it another way, what is the meaning of your life? I mean, honestly. You don't think the meaning of your life is to earn money. And I'm serious. You don't think the meaning of your life is, is just to go to work, to earn the money, to buy the bread, to give you the strength, to buy a roof over your head and a car so you can get back to work with some strength and sleep. And Honestly, is that the meaning of life? The meaning of I know you do that, but, it's, but there's going to be a meaning behind it. I find America today is a people without meaning. They're without soul. There's no reason to what they do. They do it because. Why are we here? Why on earth did God make you in the first place? He didn't need to. He's complete in himself. We didn't complete an incomplete God. God was not lonely looking for someone to talk to. He is unbeginningly, limitlessly perfect and complete in himself. And Father, Son, and Holy Spirit engage in infinite communion. 
God didn't need us. He freely, with no pressure from inside and no pressure from outside, He freely chose to make us. He chose us to love us. He, He made us to be the object of His love that we might share in a life that He was that was so fantastic. He just freely wanted to share it. And so He made us to share His life with us and to set His love upon us. Now think about that. That could be the key to your life once you really pull it out. You were created in your mother's womb. God Himself fashioned you in order that you may be loved with a limitless and unconditional love. Think about that. Now, without this connect, if that's what I was made for, you follow me? That's, that's my blueprint. If I go to the architect's blueprint and say, what, what, what is this person here for? And the answer is to be loved with an infinite, limitless love. An unconditional love. That, that's why. That's the meaning of life. Then without being connected to that love, if I'm not connected to that love which comes from God, if I do not have an immediate a personal experience of unconditional love, then I'm dead. Or I'm dysfunctional. I don't work. Do you understand that man was born, batteries not included? Do you understand that? You don't work without the love of God. This is, I'm not just being an evangelist now, I'm talking to believers. Do you? Do you understand what I mean? This is profound. You do not function at any level of your existence unless you know in your deepest experience that you are limitlessly and unconditionally loved of God. That is not knowing about it. That's not singing about it. That is knowing you are loved of God. If you do not know you are loved of God, then you are dead dysfunctional because that's the reason behind our creation when I, when I say this love which comes from God we must never confuse it with human love the scripture says God is love or again it says love is of or springing forth from God as a source if God is love it's not something he has you follow me God is it doesn't have it That means that this love is not an emotion that God has. It's His very essence. It's His being. It's His very nature. So, if it's an emotion, it's up one day and down the next. But if it's who He is, then it's unchanging. God has limited Himself to give Himself to us. That's it. So that means if God is love, if He is loved by His nature, then there's nothing I can do to make Him love. Does that make sense? If it's the way He is, you can't do anything to make Him that way. Do you follow that? If He is that way, what can you do to make Him that way? Because He already is that way. 
He loves you because of who He is, not because of who you are. He loves you because it is His nature to love. So infinitely or without limit and unbeginningly forever, there is the going forth of God's self-giving love. You are loved by God because He is. He loves you spontaneously. That is, there's nothing you can do to sort of get His attention. There's nothing you can do to twist His arm. You can't rack up brownie points to say, now I'm lovable. God loves you because of who He is, not because of who you are. So His love for you is uncaused. There's nothing to cause it except God. God Himself is the cause of His love. It's unconditional. There's no strings attached. You don't have to do anything in order for Him to love you. Ah, but this is the catch. You can't earn it then, can you? I can't think of deserving it. It's got nothing to do with me. It's bestowed upon me. By its very nature, it's a gift. And it must be a gift. Because it's the way He is. And when I say this, I wouldn't want you to think that it's some cold kind of thing. That because God is love, where well, you get in the way of it, and you're sort of loved. Um, we're not talking here about some pitying kindness, as if some distant deity is involved in some cosmic united way, that, that he knows that you poor wretches need love, and so he'll sign a check because that's the way he is. Send it off to you. No, no. Whenever we speak of the love of God, it is written in the name of Jesus and in the blood of the cross. The love of God can never be defined in an abstract sort of gooey kind of way. The love of God is that He came to us in the Lord Jesus Christ. The love of God is spelled in the blood of the cross. He comes to us. He delights over us. The Bible pictures Him as an artist that delights over us like an artist over his work. He's excited about you. He describes as a father who saw his son and he ran and fell on his neck and smothered him with kisses. God's love is not an emotion, but it is very emotional. You follow me? In, in fact, there, there is a word, <clears throat> I won't bore you with Greek, but there is um, more than one word in Greek for love. The, the word I'm talking about right now is agape. It's a God's kind of love that loves because of who he is. But there's another word, it's phileo. Now, phileo, that, that, could I put it, it's a huggy-kissy kind of word, you know, it's, it's a feeling kind of love. And, and Jesus said to his father that his father phileoed him. Not, not only did he agape Jesus, but the father phileoed him. That is, he had that feeling of being loved and a holy divine excitement from the deity side. And then he said, as he sat in the upper room before he went away, he said that the father phileoed you. As he phileos me. God doesn't only love you because that's the way he is. He loves you emotionally. Do, do, do you follow me? You go through the Bible, there are pet names that God uses for believers. He says, you're my special treasure. Come on, don't be so religious. 
I mean, this is not somebody trained in seminary saying, you are my special treasure. This, I mean, this is, this is love talk, right? This is something you whisper in the ear. I'm serious. All through the Old Testament, he called his people my special treasure. He says, you're the apple of my eye. Please read that as if you'd never read it before. That's love talk. God feels. He loves us. Unconditionally. And what I've just said, most people that I talk to who are believers feel that God can only love like that to an elite core of people. Those that somehow have done the right thing at the right time, prayed enough hours in a week. No, I said unconditionally. You are loved because you exist. You are loved because you breathe. Not a thing that you have done can earn it. Nothing that you do in terms of performance can draw it out of God. You are loved because you exist and breathe. It's, it's hard to find an illustration of this. It doesn't happen among men. This is the God kind of love. The nearest, just for a few months, in most families we touch it. And only touch it. It's a shadow. But look at that little baby in mother's arms. Why, why does the mother bestow such love, such care, day and night on that babe? I mean, she is there in the middle of the night more than once sometimes. She's there all day long. She has gone to the gates of death to bring forth the child. And she now lives for the child, pouring out her very life. Why? I mean, the child has hardly done anything to deserve it. A most ungrateful wretch, <laughs> screaming in the middle of the night, yelling for attention. A most unsociable being who emits smells at the most awkward moments. And yet this child that has produced dark rings under the parents' eyes and has drained the bodies of strength, receives. Unconditional love. Why is... If you were to go to that parent and say, I hope you've made some arrangements for this child to pay you back at some time in the future. Okay. You see what I mean? That's, that's, an that's either a joke or it's immoral. You follow me? Do you catch what I'm saying? That God loves you unconditionally? Did you just... For a second, did you catch it there? That to suggest that you would have to do something to earn God's love is immoral. You couldn't even joke about that. That's a slander on deity. As you, in one moment of shadow, where for a moment you do act a little bit like God, when you love a baby unconditionally, now can you see that God loves you Forever that way. And let me take it one step just to implant it in your mind. You realize if you were to leave this hotel and see a little baby abandoned on the step and if there were five mothers walking out the door, you would fight as to who would be the one to pick it up. And you don't even know the child's name. You don't know where it comes from. But they would reach out from you unconditional love. You love that child because it lives. You love that child because it breathes. The only reason that that child 
For you, as far as your concern is to be loved, is it exist? You ask nothing more. It exists. That is enough for you to love it. And as you sit in this auditorium, you are loved of God. Can you feel that? that don't, don't tell me, but I've messed up my life. I know you have. Don't tell me I'm dysfunctional. Of course, we're all dysfunctional. If we'd have had a meeting here for those uh, uh, adult children of normal parents, there'd be about two of us here. And <laughs> they'd both of us be liars. I know. Your father was a brute. Your mother was no good. Your neighbor was a goat. I don't know. But, you know, so you've got a problem. Of course. But God loves you because you exist. God loves you because you breathe. It has nothing to do. And he's limitless in that. Do you understand limitless? It means, in plain layman's terms, it means that God is present to you now as if you were the only person that ever was. That's, that's in layman's terms what the word infinite means. That you now have the total undivided attention of God. That he loves you as if you're the only person to be loved, which means you at this moment of time have all the love that God has to give. That's the truth of God. Now, do you know that? See, that, that's what it means to be a believer. That's what you believe. That's, they call it gospel, good news. See, that's it. Like the air, the press. See, they, they tell me that all over my body right now, at 15 pounds a square inch, air is pressing upon me. That's, that's why I never have to wake up in the morning and say, do I deserve air today? Can I have a bit? See, I, because the air is already there. It's been pressing all night long. All I have to do is say, thank you. Yes. Do you understand what I mean? The love of God is pressing you at this moment. You are held in the embrace of God. And incidentally, I don't feel the air. I report that to you because scientists told me so. I don't feel the air. All I know is I, I couldn't live without it. I don't always feel the love of God. I wouldn't want you to think of this in terms of non-stop feeling. Most of my life I do not feel this love. All I know is I couldn't live without him. So Adam, and Adam means man, mankind. One individual, but all mankind wrapped up in him. He's created by this person who is love, the original unbeginning person who is love. He is fashioned by his fingers to be love. And when he sits up, a human being, he lives in love. He knows that love is. It's bestowed like the air. It's bestowed upon him. He knows that he is God's delight. He doesn't have to do a thing. To make that happen. Because it is. It is. God told him to name the animal. You ever wonder why God did that? You know? You ever ask questions? I mean, why would God do that? Say, name the animal. Because I, I really, I don't have time. Could you go and name the animal? <laughs> then why? Adam had to know firsthand the difference between him and the animal. He had to look into their eyes and see there's something missing. You know, to look into a pool of water and to look into his own eyes and see himself. 
and to know that that is Him. Which means I am self-conscious. I know that I'm here. And to look into the eyes of the animals and know that they don't know they're here. And to know that I am free. I am like God in that I am free. The animals are programmed. God put his floppy disk inside of them. They're programmed. But man is frighteningly not programmed. You ever heard about that? See, your cat doesn't have to sit down and say, Who am I? <laughs> hey, my animals teach me a lot. I, I look at them and I understand much of this. See, because if the cat doesn't know who it is, then what am I supposed to do? See? Because it wouldn't know then what cattishness is. I'm serious. It, it would be free, you understand. It can go any way it wants. This is frightening. See, it, it would have to check in with the Creator to say, who, who am I? Uh, why, why am I here? You know, And he would be told, you're a cat. And, and cats are here for bus and soul. And so then, unprogrammed, the cat would choose to be a cat. You never thought about that, did you? <laughs> you think about it. If you're free, genuinely free, then I've got to go back to my inventor to say, could I see the blueprint? Who, who am I? Only in this case, the inventor is so excited over his invention... He told man who he was. And man then had to choose to be who he is. Someone who lives in the love of God to respond to that love and carry that love within him as the very image of God. Does that make sense? He had to look at the animals and see I'm different. I, I, I bear the signature of the inventor. I'm... I am able to know him. He didn't put a floppy disk inside of me and make me a robot. I'm free. I can know. I can choose to know the Creator. And the Creator can say, I love you. And I can know that I'm loved. You see, I'm self-conscious. I can know this. I'm different. This is my significance and worth. This is it. That God has chosen to bestow upon me his love. You know who I am. When you look at me, you should stand in awe. And I'm serious. Because whenever I look at you, I stand in awe. I have been given the unspeakable privilege tonight of communicating with people that were created to fellowship with God. I am speaking with people upon whom has been bestowed Unconditional, limitless love. I stand in awe of you. You're incredible. That's your significance. That's your worth. It doesn't come from looking in a mirror saying, you can do it, you can do it. You're a marvelous person. You're wonderful, you're wonderful. Because the truth is, take you down to the pharmacy and you're not worth very much at all. You know, and I'm serious. If I'm talking about you or me, just in a vacuum, just so here, dumped here, then I'm afraid our worth doesn't amount to very much. 
I'm, I'm serious. But the miracle is that upon this person and that person and that person, the Creator has bestowed this unconditional love. I find out my worth, not by looking in a mirror, but by looking at my Creator. When I look at Him, I discover how much I'm worth. Not in myself. I don't value out my flesh and value out my abilities and add myself up and say, you're a jolly good chap. I look away from myself to the, the person who made this jolly good chap uh, and, and on top of that realize he loves me. Even when I'm flat on my face in the mud, he loves me. It's the basis of my worth. It, it's a gift relationship. He's gifted me. A silly illustration, but it's helped a lot of people. You were standing on Pennsylvania Avenue in D.C. along with 10,000 other people shoulder to shoulder and the president's motorcade is coming along and suddenly the president's car stopped and the window comes down and he points right at you and he says, Mary, how are you? Well, just a minute. CNN zooms in on you. I mean, ABC, they're tripping up. Who is this? You realize what has happened. An important human being has bestowed importance on you. And suddenly, it doesn't matter what you're dressed in, doesn't matter, you're important. He said, hello. Okay, do you see what I'm saying? Do you know who you are? The Creator didn't just pull down the window and say hi. The Creator loved you and gave Himself for you. And that, that's not an illustration, that's for real. Do you, do you understand? And He comes to us in the person of the Holy Spirit and He pours His love on us. Your importance, your value comes from God. So here, we've got the beginnings of something to work with here. The blueprint, okay? This is the architect's blueprint. Your, your destiny. Who, who are you? This is who you are originally. This is who you are as the plan goes. You were made in the image of God. You were made free to bear in yourself the love of God. To image Him in creation. Plus, this is a formula, okay? You're into formulas? Plus, you mathematicians will enjoy this. Okay, plus. So, so, you get that one? Who are you? Answer the question, who are you? You're made in the image of God. You're not an animal, you're not a beast. You're not a bird. There's a Grand Canyon. <laughs> no, there's ten Grand Canyons between you and the highest primate. You are unique. You're made in God's image. Okay, that's the first thing. Now, plus... You're unconditionally loved. There's a voice from the outside. God's voice. It says, I've bestowed my love on you. Plus, I am able to respond to that love and know it and rest there that I am loved. Made in the image of God. Plus, loved unconditionally. Plus, able to respond and rest in that love equals who I am. Did, did you get that? God bless your nod. Is there another? Do you understand what I mean? Did you really get that? You're not into formulas, okay. It's, see, this is, this is how we were originally planned to get up in the morning. You matter. You supremely matter. When you put your footprints in the sand, it matters, eternally it matters because you're not just an animal, you're made in God's image. You're somebody just by creation. 
But then add to that as you get out of bed in the morning. I am loved because I exist, because I live and breathe. I'm loved. Now add to that. I have been made in such a way that I can respond to that love and know it. Now take a deep breath and know I'm a person. That's your destiny. It's who you are. Out from that, now you can perform as a functioning, normal person. Life becomes an expression then of God's love. I know I'm significant. There's meaning to my life. See, when I go to work, I'm not the pawn of my boss. I, I, I'm God's child. And it's real. I'm loved. And I'm not going to work just to earn money. I'm going to be the love of God. And I don't even have anxiety for the future because I'm loved of God. And even if we go through hard times, I know that I'm loved of God. And He's for real. You see, so I've got meaning to life. I'm significant. I have worth. It's all in my relationship to God. There is nowhere in the scripture the possibility of a normal human being just hanging out in a vacuum. A normal human being is one who has a relationship to God that's working, functioning. And, and there's two of them. There's a woman there too. And everything I've just said about the man applies to her. Because Adam really means mankind. So here's two people who view each other made in the image of God. He looks at her, she looks at him with awe. And do you understand what I mean by that? I mean, take it in. That person next to you will be alive in 10 trillion years' time. Either as someone so glorious that you'd mistake them for Jesus if you saw them now as they will be then. Or someone so hideous that no science fiction movie has ever portrayed them. There's no such thing as a mere human. I'm talking about people that God made. They, they stand in awe of each other. And they know that they're loved with infinite love. Which means he comes to her and she comes to him not needing love, but with an overspill to give away. So this isn't a marriage where I'm going to suck everything I can out of him or her. I've got so much I've come to love. You follow. That's why he called her what he did. It comes over in our Bibles as called her woman. as a poor translation. The word is Isha in Hebrew, which means my lady. My lady. And he, Lord, and beside him his lady, standing in awe and honor and love one to another because of their relationship to God and because of what God bestowed upon them. And they weren't religious. Religion came in with the fall of man. Did you know that? Sin invented religion. Because religion, by definition, assumes a separation between God and man. They weren't separated. They lived inside God. Is this making sense? God, God embraced them. They lived inside the arms of God, put it that way. So how could you be religious? You're inside God. Religion assumes you're outside. You're trying to get to him. Right? Come on. Tell me, do fish go to the water house every Sunday? <laughs> do we go to the air house? Fish live in water. Human bodies live in air. Human spirits live in God. Go to God's house if you want to call it that. 
not to meet with God, please. <laughs> if that's the case, I meet with God in my bed, in my living room. I, and I, how can you meet with God? You live inside. And he lives inside you. I go to the house of God to meet you. And meeting you together, we'll worship him. See. And so God loves them. Or to put that another way, God actively works. God's love is an energy. It's infinite energy, God's love is. And it's working to bring this man and woman that he's created to their fullest potential. To their highest and their best. To bring them to their fulfillment as human beings. Which is to live to the very fullest in God and God in them. To bring them to becoming a whole person. That's what I mean when I say God loves you. It means there's an energy at work in your life right now. An energy that is working to bring you to your fullest potential as a human being. Then what on earth went wrong? I mean, get through saying that lot. <laughs> and, and yet we find ourselves feeling inferior. How could you feel inferior if this is all true? And I'm serious. We, we feel unworthy. Some might even go as far as using the term worthless. Unlovable. I'll tell you what went wrong. And don't just say, well, they sinned. I know they sinned. Can you tell me what that means? If, if you know what that means, then you've got no problems with what's going on in the world today. Let me spin out what it means when we use those archaic words like original sin, whatever that means. There came to the original couple the rebel leader of a cosmic rebellion already in progress. And he came, and hear me very, very carefully, he came with an alternative meaning to life. Can you forget all the theological stuff you've heard? Satan came with an alternative ID. There was the voice of the Creator that says, Who are you? You're made in my image. You're unconditionally loved. You can respond. I've put it in you. That's who you are. Just rest in my love and out from that go and perform. Satan came and says, I, I have an alternative suggestion. So here you've got the voice of God the Creator and the alternative voice, the voice of the Creator that comes with truth. This is the way you are. This is your blueprint. This is the only way to function. And now comes the alternative voice, which is the lie. I didn't say a lie, this is the lie. You mustn't, please, everything you've ever thought of Satan, forget it, because every image you have of Satan was invented by Satan, to make sure you wouldn't believe in him. Satan is a gorgeous creature, the highest of the angels. And he fell, because he started the cosmic rebellion. And he comes now, and he says, Tell me, did God say you couldn't eat of that tree? We all know, you're the closest to him, you would know the facts. Could you clue us in? We've heard a rumor. We've heard it said. You're not allowed to eat of the tree. I can't believe it's true, but tell us. She said, that's the truth. He said, we mustn't eat or touch of the tree. In the day that we eat, we'll die. He said, he said that. 
You've got to be kidding. Tata. Oh. The truth is, I love you. I'm your friend. I'm on your side. And let me tell you this. He's telling you not to eat of the tree. Because he knows. See, he knows that when he made you, he made someone as big as himself. And he's terrified now. He's got to keep you groveling. What's all this stuff that? Dependence and receiving bestowed love. How demeaning. Your eternal welfare. Always on the take. <laughs> no, let me introduce you to who you really are. Let, let me draw upon the depths of your creativity. Let me tell you, you're really the same as him. But he's got you groveling at his feet and telling you, must, let me tell you, eat of that tree and you'll discover who you really are. You'll become just like him. You'll become a god in yourself. You'll no longer have to be on the take from him because you'll have everything within yourself. You won't have to see what he wants. You'll do what you want. And then you can walk alongside of him. He's got his opinions about life. You've got yours. You might even check in with him every Sunday just to see how he's doing. <laughs> if life gets a bit tough, you can even ask a bit of help. But you see, you can do it yourself. You'll be walking alongside of God, not inside him. You'll know about him. You won't know him. Do you follow what I'm... You won't live out from him. If you think of him at all, you'll live for him. You'll do it, of course, because you've got the power. You're God. Don't forget and see, you, you can do it. You are the end in yourself. That was original sin. I mean, it doesn't sound like sin, does it? Unless you really listen to what he's saying. No longer related to God, just believing about Him. No longer inside His love, but walking alongside. The Bible calls this the lie. The lie. And it is the foundation of the entire world system as we know it today. But man can do it in himself. Romans 1, which is a commentary on that fall of man. It says they exchanged the truth of God for the lie. That's in the margin, the lie. The devil does not stand in truth, said Jesus, because there is no truth in him whenever he speaks. And again, it's in the margin, the lie. He speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. And man believed it. Man said, in effect, I believe you. That means I'm no longer a creature. Because a creature must, by definition, be dependent upon the Creator. Does that make sense? If I'm a creature, I'm getting life from somewhere. Man said, I'm not. I'm here because I am here. I'm getting life from nowhere except me. So he said goodbye to being dependent upon God. He sets himself in the center well, what's he got left? This man who had love inside of him, surrounded by love, made for fellowship and relationship with God. What's he got left once he said goodbye to that? This stuff. Bible calls it flesh. My createdness. 
because this stuff goes into the invisible inside me. My imagination was created. My mind was created. My emotion. That's all I'm left with. The batteries have gone. The source of my functioning has gone. Do you realize that once man is separated from the love of God, he's fighting his own destiny? Look, even your stomach doesn't work without love. Did you know that? Come, you do know that. When you get full of anger, bitterness, resentment, rage, acid goes into your stomach. Now, doesn't that tell you something? Your body, your body isn't made to work without love. Collapses. Did you read that uh, scientific thing where even your heart goes wrong when you get angry? Isn't that, I say, I find that fascinating. Fascinating. You get full of anxiety and your neck screws up. Isn't that true? You don't work. Now, that's something you can see. I mean, very right, I see that. Let me tell you, there are deeps inside of you that you haven't seen. You don't work without God's love. You don't work. You don't function. None of us do. But worse than that, if man isn't related to God, who is he related to? Satan. Jesus spoke of man as now, you're of your father, your father, the devil. I've joined a family of self for myself. No love now. I've joined... A family of hate, of slavery and shame. Now, what happened? The very first reaction to arriving in this family of darkness, man says he's ashamed. He was naked. He was afraid. First of all, he tries to hide from his wife with fig leaves. And then when God shows up, they both run in the trees and try and hide from God behind the trees. What's going on? You might say it's in slow motion. This is the core of the belief system that makes the race, our race, what it is today. And if I'm speaking of the race, I'm speaking about you and I. Please don't exceed. We're not the only ones that we're excluded. No, no, no. This is our story. The first reaction when man separated himself from the unconditional love of God, the first reaction he had was guilt and shame. And he wanted to hide. That was the first thing. And the first thing was not hide from God. It was hide from the other one. So they put on fig leaves. Not to hide from God. Hide from each other. When God showed up, fig leaves weren't enough. They tried to hide behind trees. Right? (laughs) And it's this that's passed on. It's been passed on from them down through our own families. This cursing, shaming, blitzing to our lives. It is this that Jesus came to deliver us from. Not just to get you to heaven when you die, whatever that means. I believe in it, but it's too big for me to preach about. Well, I know it is so. But I can talk about what he says I can talk about, which is that he came to deliver us from this curse in our lives, this blitzing of our whole being, to take out of us the shame and the guilt. By the way, let's get this straight. Guilt. That's the horror of knowing you're wrong. (laughs) I have violated the relationship between creature and creator. And let me say this, guilt is good. I saw a sign the other day, you know, one of those circles with guilt in it and then the cross through it, you know, no to guilt. That's no, 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 no. No, you'll get that in some humanistic 
help group that only shares ignorance. No, 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 no. I, I mean that. No, no, don't, don't you go along with that nonsense. Guilt is good. If you writhe in guilt, thank God you're salvable. The devil has no guilt. If you're guilty, it proves you can be saved. Thank God for guilt. And thank God if you came from a family that's based in guilt. I mean that too. What I mean, in a family that's based in guilt, if you do something wrong, they tell you that is wrong. And if you do this, it won't be wrong anymore. And you do this, and it's not wrong anymore, and we all go on our way happy. Thank God for that. It's the other stuff. Shame. It's what caused them to hide. Skulk in the trees behind fig leaves from each other. That's the thing. That's the devil. Shame. See, some people think that, that shame is sort of double-dipped guilt. Right? You know, industrial strength guilt. No, it isn't. Shame is entirely different. Did you, did you hear what I said? Guilt? Something I did. I have violated the creature-creator relationship. Or if we're talking about Holmes, I did something. And when they come to me, they tell me, you did that. Shame has not to do with what I did. Shame points the finger at me and says, you are no good. You are worthless as a human being. Because of what you've done, you are unlovable. You are no good and you are totally bad. Where does this shame come from? The lie. Now, do, do you follow? We're going to enlarge on this in the second hour, but do you follow me quickly? What, what does the lie say? You're God. You can handle this by yourself. You don't need him. You can find your own meaning to life. You can find your own reason for living. You can do that all by yourself. So I believe that. I can handle life by myself. Sin is that which never should be and never can be. Did you, did you follow me there? Sin never should be, but also it never can be. Sin says you can be as God. You can be independent. You can fashion your own life. You can find your own meaning to life. You can't. Sin means I will pursue a fantasy my entire life. And it will never happen. I've got a standard of expectancy. I am going to have this fantastic life. I'm going to do this and this and this and this. I'm going to be this and this and this. And I will be filled with joy and peace and love. And everybody will be doing what I want them to do. Because I am God and I control people just like a chess game. And it doesn't happen. Never happens. Not even in one 24-hour period. It never happens. Because it's all an illusion. I mean, if I'm God, I'm strong in myself. I know the future. Of course I know the future. Any respectable God knows the future. And I know how to handle the future. Any respectable God does. And here I stand at the gates of the Garden of Eden, I'm scared spitless. Because I don't only not know the future, <laughs> I don't know the present. I don't know how to handle tomorrow. And for the first time I've got to put a word on this crazy thing that's happening to me called anxiety and worry. Because only 
little things who believe they're gods worry. Because it's the idea, I should know the future, and I don't. And I should know what to do with the future, and I don't. So worry, anxiety happens, you see. And I, and I, I realize I, I, don't, I don't have a handle on life. I don't know to handle I'm scared. And God's aren't supposed to be scared. I feel then ashamed of myself because I think I ought to be perfect. I ought to do everything perfect. I ought to know everything perfectly and I don't. But because I believe the satanic lie that I bought into that says you should be perfect and I'm not, therefore I'm ashamed of who I am. I ought to be able to be perfect for God so that God would be proud of me. And I'm not. So I'm ashamed. And I call into church whenever I do and I say, oh God, I'm no good, I'm no good. And I'm pretty certain he either laughs or says, for goodness sake, shut up. Because that is the satanic lie that says, independent of you, God, I can be as you so you'll be proud of me. You're never, you're never supposed to be. You can't move. You can't be a proper human being without the life of God flowing into you. You're not supposed to be able to produce the perfect life apart from God's life coming to you first. But the lie says you can. You've got it in you. Just try hard enough. That, that spawned a thousand churches in Texas that says try hard, try hard, do it better. You can do it if you try. Dedicate your life. Rededicate your life. It's all part of the lie that says you can do it. You can do it. You can't. You never meant to. You were created not to be able to. And then the devil put in the fantasy that says it. You, 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 no. You were never meant to. You never will. Until I just relax and say I'm loved. And unless you pour your love into me, there's nothing coming out of me. So man was ashamed because he believed the lie and didn't believe God. God says, I love you just as you are. The lie says, independent of God, you can be so fantastic. The whole world will admire you and God himself will have to admit you're like him. It ain't so. And so I'm ashamed of myself because I believe that lie. And shame means I look at myself and I say, you're defective. There's something wrong with you. You're worthless. You're no good. Jesus said man was lost. Lost in himself. I don't know who I am anymore. The only way I knew who I was was I listened to God say, I love you. That gave me my significance and my worth. I don't know who I am anymore. Because I'm listening to myself. You know, I, I, somewhere inside of me I'm so fantastic. I'm, I'm as God. I've got to get a new self image if I can see myself. I, I'm serious, you see. It doesn't work. My self-image is what God says about me, not what I see in myself. It's the voice of God's love that integrates me, gives me my identity. I find myself fleeing in the trees of the sound of God, saying, God could never love me, I'm supposed to be perfect. I'm not worth loving. God couldn't even want to be around me. I want to put on my fig leaves and hide from my fellow human beings and say, if ever you knew what I was like, you couldn't love me. Because I'm not perfect. And so I'm going to hide from you. I couldn't let you see me as I am. I feel, in the words of the Bible, naked. 
I'm afraid. And I am split inside me. I walk alongside myself. I'm not only separated from God, I'm separated from myself. And I walk alongside myself. And I talk to myself all day long. You're stupid. You're worthless. You disgusting wretch. Call yourself a husband? <laughs> if she really knew you, she couldn't love you. Do you, do you laugh because you know what I'm talking about? You know? I've known this. To walk on the platform and preach a message. By the time I've hit that door, I'm saying to myself, well, they never come back. <laughs> Call yourself a preacher? You didn't even make sense. Those stupid jokes, you're foolish. Non-stop. You're no good. You're no good. You're no good. Hi. Well, that's the introduction.